I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. For Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, regular host, designated driver, mouth runner, and this time, Artie Farty, here entering the final lap of our coverage of the Time Lord's Diamond anniversary year on our free-speaking, big-thinking show for everyone. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading, or listening along to the adventures of our hero, Doctor Who, we talk about it all on this show with the odd laugh or two thrown in here and there along the way. So come and step into our TARDIS for another great conversation here on Type 40. Yes, and in the five years we've been doing this show, Simon, Sarah, Kyle and myself have been privileged enough to speak to some really, really cool and interesting people. Some of the conversations have gone exactly as as I thought. (laughs) Some, not so much, but they've all been really eye-opening and engaging, and the feedback's always been fantastic. Thank you to everybody who who gets in touch with us. Some interviews have even been as if we're talking to old friends that we've only just met. It's the strangest feeling, and when I got to talk to comic book and storyboard artist Christopher Jones a couple of weeks ago, it was very much like that. Christopher is one of the talents who've combined their efforts, their forces, to produce this fabulous new book from Titan Comics to mark the 60th anniversary. And he'll be along in a couple of minutes to tell you all about that, his madcap career and lifelong passion for the greatest TV show of them all, of course, Doctor Who. You're in for a treat, whether you're a comics reader or not. That's right after I remind you that if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away 
on the device of your choice, but only if you know exactly where to look. A proper time stream chock full of reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives with all our regular panellists and lots more awesome guests. We know there's something for every fan over at type40.podbean.com. More about that a little later on. Not before we make contact with the matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network for a word about all the other cult conversations going on across all the other shows covering all those other geeky interests over there so here we are get unbagged and onboarded ready to turn the pages and peruse the panels all telling the story of when i finally got to meet christopher jones now Here we are in Doctor Who's Diamond Anniversary Year, and remembering not just how the series made and makes us feel each time we play a DVD, a Blu-ray, or hit play on Max, Britbox, or iPlay, or anywhere else, but about how it's all been about so much more. An expanded Hooniverse off-screen that's informed and entertained arguably as much. If in more intimate, and indescribable ways, I suppose. There've been extra Doctor Who comic strip adventures for almost as long as there's been Doctor Who, since just before the series' first birthday, in fact, way back in November 1964, in the pages of British weekly title TV Comic. The further adventures of the of the Doctors and the TARDIS have rarely been out of the printed panels since. Notably, of course, within the pages of the official magazine with that next to uh, unbroken 45-year run. But in recent decades, it's also been the case that the international comic book market has expanded and and capitalised on the Time Lord when first Marvel, then IDW, and now Titan Comics continue to tell new sequential stories to the delight of comic book fans and Doctor Who fans alike. I'm holding the very latest one in my hands right now. This is a sumptuous hardback book here, Once Upon a Time Lord, and I'm genuinely over the moon to say I'm joined by one of the creatives who've made it happen, who've brought it into being. I've got artist, illustrator, educator, and a massive Doctor Who fan, Christopher Jones, with me on Type 40 this time. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Well, thank you very much for having me, and and I apologize to any listeners who for a moment thought they got to to hear from Dan Slott today. It's it's just me. <laughs> sorry. I can't I can't talk about writing Spider-Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> so first things first, Christopher, thanks for making the time to speak to me today. Oh, my Once pleasure. upon a time, Lords here. We we finally have it in our grubby little hands. Tell me about this fabulous book. How did it come about? How did you come to be involved? Well, you know, the best way to tell this is is chronologically, which is ironic. For, for talking about <laughs> Doctor Who. I had been a fan for ages. I grew up loving Doctor Who. We can talk about that more later if you want. But uh, I, I had started going to Doctor Who conventions as a spinoff of my history of doing comic book conventions and appearing in their you know Artist Alley type uh, arrangements. Oh, yeah. At one of them, I was putting up my prints that I had done uh, in my, uh, uh, my table area. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of my prints are based on things that I've worked on, but some of them are just things I'm a fan of and wanted to draw. And I had done some Doctor Who art, and uh, I had put I was putting up a piece that I had done 
that was uh, uh, the Seventh Doctor and Ace in Bessie, since Bessie had appeared in a Seventh Doctor story. The image I wanted, that I had in my head that I wanted to share with others was uh, the Doctor driving Bessie, kind of shielding himself with the umbrella, which has taken some hits, and you've got Ace standing up in the back lobbing Nitro 9. Which I thought would be great, and and of course I needed to make it, yeah. You know, like, well, if they're if they're in battle, they need to be fighting someone. Well, let's make it the Daleks. There's the image. Um, so it became this great big thing, and I'm putting it up. And the title, as you can see on the bottom of it, I used the last line spoken in the classic series. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do. And I'm setting up my table, and a gentleman that I didn't immediately recognize started sitting yeah. up at the table next to me, and he didn't have his stuff up yet, so there's nothing that told me what his name was. And he started looking at my art, and he, he looked at that one very closely and said, oh, I wrote that line. Really? And then I realized it was Andrew Cartmel setting up next oh, to wow. me. Oh, wow. And we got chatting over the weekend, and he was in the process of writing a Seventh Doctor miniseries and got the idea into his head that he would like me to draw said miniseries. So he made the introduction between myself and Titan Comics, who are the ones that then and still do have the Doctor Who comic license. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, well, just, I don't know if it was unfortunate, but the way it turned out is uh, his miniseries was in development for long enough that an entirely different opportunity came along first for me to work on Doctor Who, which was the third Doctor miniseries that Paul Cornell wrote, which was uh, Heralds of Destruction. And that was a whole joyful uh, thing. But I eventually did get to do the seventh Doctor miniseries that Andrew wrote, which was Operation Volcano. And I had done a bunch of covers. So I, I had accumulated a certain yeah. a body of Doctor Who work. So to finally get around to answering your question, um, I was, uh, I, I had been a fan of Dan Slott's work for a long time and had not ever had a chance to meet him properly. And I was leaving the show floor of New York Comic Con one year and I saw him sitting at a table just looking through some stuff. Uh, I f eventually found out that he was basically just waiting for the crowds to thin out and before he Dan Slott is probably the most notable or certainly industrious writer in the history of Amazing Spider-Man from Marvel Comics, isn't he? I believe he has written more issues of, of Spider-Man than any other writer. Uh, mm. I, you know, it's, it's like a ridiculous percentage. Like, I think he's written a fifth of the run. And, you know, given that's a, a, a book that uh, goes back just about as long as Doctor Who, <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's quite a body of work. Um, but uh, in any case... Um, so I went up to introduce myself and before I could start to explain further who I was, he said, oh, you've, you've drawn Doctor Who. I know who you are. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I got to chat with him for a while and we kind of struck up a friendship that was based on our mutual fandom of Doctor Who and had talked over the years enough about the things he would love to do if he ever got to write Doctor Who, because he's 
just a fountain of ideas. Christopher, it's funny how Doctor Who fans, in whichever walk of life, whichever profession, or geographically wherever we are, I mean, it's easier in the in the age of the internet, obviously, we just find one another. And the amount of people who tell me similar stories, people who are working in lots of different fields say, you know what, and you think, oh, well, maybe there was some approach via an agent, it was all very grand, but no, no, just had a word with that bloke on the next table. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, and, and, uh, the, the 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 issue that Dan had was he was yeah. under an exclusive contract with Marvel Comics. He only could write mm -hmm. comics for Marvel. And every time his uh, contract came up for renewal, he uh, would ask, could I get an exception put in there that I could just go write a couple of Doctor Who comics? <laughs> just, just one Doctor Who comic. Just let me go write a Doctor Who story. I want to write a Doctor Who story. And they were like, no, no, if you're under-exclusive with Marvel, that means you're under-exclusive with Marvel. And finally, somehow he wore them down. And this last time that he was renewing his contract, they, they made a provision that he could write three Doctor Who comics. Which yeah, he said, he said ven Venom on them or some, something like that. Yes, and Dan being Dan, uh, of course, took the language of the contract and said, well, I guess that means I get to do three Doctor Who graphic novels then. Um, <laughs> and, it's like that, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, originally this first one was supposed to come out last year, and I think uh, at some point while it was in the, the late stages of production, um, they realized, oh, it's it's a uh, a story prominently featuring the tenth Doctor, and mm. they've just announced that 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 David Tennant is going to be part of the 60th anniversary the following year. Maybe we should delay uh, yeah. the release of the book to come out closer to that anniversary. The so, word is synergy, isn't it? It's that's I, the, I guess publishing word. Uh, yeah. I, the words I would use were frustrating delay, but that's just me. Um, no, I mean, I'm glad it's finally out. I'm glad it, fans Chris, are finally Chris, it's not just it. you. It's not just you at all. I've been waiting for this book. I saw the solicitations go out whenever it was, 18 months ago, and I thought, Christopher Jones, Dan Slott, all these people, I, I've i got to read this. Mike Collins, you know, I've spoken to Mike, great guy, fabulous artist again. I've got to oh, see absolutely. this book. I want to read this strip. And, and But finally, finally, it's here. And I have, I have the synopsis right here, too. It says an epic story that sees companion Martha Jones captured by the insatiable pyramids, heavens above, <laughs> and her only hope for survival is to keep them distracted with sensational untold tales of the Tenth Doctor facing off against his greatest foes, both classic and new. Witness the incredible adventures of the Tenth Doctor like never before. You'll be on the edge of your TARDIS oh. <laughs> yeah, it, as she recounts three unbelievable tales of the Doctor facing off against his deadliest foes. Bursting straight out of the long-running hit TV series, this Doctor Who collection continues the time-travelling tales of the Doctor and friends. This is my favourite bit. Buy it, read it, then travel back in time to read it for the first time all over again. Whoa, Titan are really selling this, Christopher. Is it really that but, good? It looks but good. If you, but if you travel back in time, you've still read it already. How does this is traveling true. back in time help you read it for the first time? I don't understand. Yep. It's a Set paradox. Stephen Moffat on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I tell you. But um, reading it for the first time, it's a fixed point in time. You can't alter Never mind. Um... <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted it's finally out. The, you know, the, the Pyramiths, uh, I got to design 
visually the pyromaths are our new villain for the story and uh, the I, i'm delighted with how they look and i just wish i got to see them in live action because i think they would be wonderful and and oh, and wow. horrifying <laughs> in live action well they, christopher they, i don't know if you're aware but a precedent has now been set because beep the meep who originally appeared well, in 1979 is now in the tv series so it, it's happened before it could happen again so in 20 or 30 years <laughs> Look on we, the could side. The, we could see the pyramids appear in <laughs> in a future anniversary special the you no know, the the uh the design of them uh I'm trying to remember how much was in uh, Dan's description of them in the script versus what I mm. came to it with. But the, the idea was uh, we just kind of wanted these these floating eyes and teeth in this black smoky shape. And mm. and the the kind of skeletal form that you see in the the shape of the the black smoky body is meant to be a little bit evocative of cave drawings. Oh, I it's get it. Yeah. To, it's supposed to look sort of, you know, that that rough yeah. carved on the wall or, or painted with a with a stick dipped in berries kind of kind of uh, uh Yeah, it's uh, got that sort of charcoal yeah. look to it. Uh it's meant to be evocative of that so that you could imagine that some of the early cave drawings might have been inspired by the the look of of these creatures because they're all about uh stories told around uh the a campfire at night so no, yeah it, it's it's a, it's a fun thing i mean it's you know obviously the story structure is scheherazade it's it's a thousand and one uh arabian nights and it, it's um i don't know why it has taken someone so long to think to apply that story structure to doctor who it's a it's a marvelous idea and i think dan does really fun things with it so it was a it, it was a delight to draw the portions I got to draw, and then uh, we had we had some of the art by Matthew Dow Smith, and then as you mentioned, Mike Collins contributed a ninth Doctor story that's part of this volume. So it's a really nice nice collection of stuff by a lot of great uh, by a really great creative team, talented people, and great storytellers. Yeah. All of you. I mean, I love the fact that uh, the companion is is Martha as well, because I do feel that she she gets the thin end of the wedge. I think a lot of a lot of books tend to cover either Rose or Donna, and uh, Martha's always been a personal favourite of mine, and you've captured her beautifully there. Oh well, thank you very much. You know, the the only thing I wish there had been space to do more in the story is is I I always like it when um, they they get to showcase uh, Martha's uh, medical training because that that yeah. was one of the things that I found exciting about the character when they first introduced her not that not that being a medical doctor puts her on equal footing with being a hundreds of years old time lord but i always i always like it when um companions are presented as having a certain competency a practical usefulness beyond just being plucky and clever and brave and loyal which are kind <laughs> of the standard uh elements uh and and yeah I mean, you know the, the it was a charming performance and a fun character and the 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 thing that i i feel kind of dragged down a little bit of martha's arc is is i i know i'm not the only fan that feels this way that the whole unrequited uh romantic interest in the doctor yeah like yeah okay we get it let's let's move on <laughs> 
Well, Russell feels he's acknowledged that, and I, I understand he was very apologetic towards Freema personally because he felt that he kind of wrote the character into a bit of a corner, mm. which is why she left earlier than he'd originally planned, and why he kept bringing her back because he thought he thought that the character would be uh, better off to be revisited at various junctions. And you can yeah. see now, looking back on it with hindsight, absolutely. I think one of her best moments is when she decides to leave. Mm. And then, and doesn't just leave, but like comes back to explain why she's leaving. Um, and then, and then, yeah, when she comes back, she's absolutely delightful because it's Martha without all that baggage, which is great. Dan definitely had his idea ready to go. Um, uh, you know, the the way to, to to finish the 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 epic tale of how I came to this was that once uh, once Dan had this in development then with titan when he'd gotten permission from marvel to do it um uh i guess they asked him who he wanted to work with and given our our conversations nice. in the past about like you know doctor who that would be fun to do um uh he asked for me to be one of the artists involved so i want that guy that guy at that convention yeah. that thing. i want that guy exactly <laughs> And eventually, after a great deal of detective work, uh, Titan figured out what my name was. And uh, no, uh, in terms of drawing a story, um, this is my third time around now with with Titan on, on Doctor Who. And, and uh, you know, uh, hey, as, as often as they'll give me a chance and I can fit it into my schedule, I'd love to do more because I, I love telling stories with with Doctor Who. It's so fun. When you've got an affinity for the characters as well, you can even hear their hear their voices as you're drawing them, you, or you know how they move, how they look at one another. When you're looking at a, a combination of characters, such as a Doctor and Martha, the Doctor and any companion, come to think of it. Well, that's that is certainly an advantage to having everyone involved be you know a fan of this show. That there's a lot of it to have soaked in over the years, because you know Dan. I thought really captured the feel of it with his script. And honestly, I, you know, I was lucky enough to have this experience with the two previous uh, stories I had done where, you know, you, there, you can hear the voice of the characters when you read the words on the page. And then it's just a matter of figuring out, all right, what facial expression, what body language can I portray in the art that sells that moment i know that i know i can hear the voice in my head what's what's the face that goes with that yeah that, that uh voice and I, I don't mean which doctor i mean i mean you know which in, in, in the case of, yeah in the case of this like you know david Tennant, like you, you see a certain smile from him or a certain look and like you know you know that moment you know that 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 uh the note in, of performance that's being delivered there and so you're trying to put that on the page They've all they've all got them here and there, haven't they? And it's like any it's like members of our own family. When you, I think it's the same actually with a, a lot of television characters when you spend an extended period of time with them. But there's something particularly about Doctor Who. I think it's possibly because the stories are so rewatchable, or at least we, the fans, spend a lot of our time, so much of our time, watching the same material over and over again. You know, do you think that's part of it? I think so. I mean. Uh... I've been a fan. So my first exposure to Doctor Who, the first um, I'd heard of Doctor Who, but my first chance to watch the show, like so many Americans, was um, it ran on our local public broadcasting channel, PBS, and um, 
public broadcasting system. Um, and uh, they started at the beginning of Tom Baker's run. And I somehow completely perfectly missed all four episodes of Robots. So the first episode of Doctor Who I ever saw was episode one of Ark in Space. Which not a bad place to start. Not a bad place to start at all. By the time... By the time the doctor played with a yo-yo for a second and then commented on, you know, the artificial gravity of the satellite, I was I was in love. Um, but you know, so so my fandom goes back to to that era. I, I you know I I watched it through the the remainder of the classic series run. Obviously, we eventually got reruns of the earlier episodes, so I had consumed the whole the whole run of Classic Who, and. Um, I think because of its more low budget roots, you invest in those episodes in a slightly different way than something that was more lavishly produced, like either other science fiction or even modern Doctor Who. We get told that a lot as British fans, when particularly when we when we were younger, you know, growing up in the eighties, when we heard that it had caught on in the states, or it, it had this sort of cult audience, and people would say, you know, well, what earth do they like about it? Because this is the country that that makes stuff like Return of the Jedi and all these, you know, at the time Spielberg was at the height of his powers. You know, we got Indiana Jones and we got Back to the Future, all the emblem stuff. But what what earth do the Americans enjoy about Doctor Who? And and now and again, people would say, oh, well, they like the the quaint. We used to hear, hear the word quaint a lot. You think, oh, well, fair enough. And, and sure enough, I do get people mentioning that to me. It's how much fun can we have with £3.50 on the, on the budget is part of the appeal. But I don't think anybody's ever repeated it back to me quite so word for word the way that you just have there. <laughs> well, the thing, but the thing is, though, I, I, don't, I don't say that that was part of its appeal. I, I'm saying that the, the limit, the, the, any obvious limitations of, of the effects, especially when you're watching stuff that isn't just low budget in the moment, but low budget from decades earlier. I mean, you know, I, I feel the same way watching uh, 1960s Star Trek now. You know, it's like it, it was really amazing looking for a television show at the time, but you know, it yeah, was it, it say. Do, do you think? Do you think that it's because they used that that money well, and that they, more to the point, that they employed their own creative talents very wisely as well to realise the stuff that's in those scripts? Because most of the scripts for particularly classic Doctor, Who, I love New Doctor Who as well, but particularly classic Doctor Who, they they were ambitious, very very ambitious over four or six parts. And I, I know that a lot of them were sort of pared down, but even so, they tasked themselves with doing the very, very best they could. And so they feel, you sort of will them to success, don't you? And I think that when a television show makes us feel like that, we, f we feel it's on us to kind of bring the balance from our own imagination. Well, that's the point I was trying to make, is I think, I think the thing that really made the show work wasn't, it, it didn't work because of those limitations. It, mm. worked, it worked in spite of them. And what made it work was the writing and the performances. And and yes, some amazingly talented people did the best they could with the resources at hand. And sometimes they pulled stuff off that you're like, how did how did this show manage that? Wow. Um, but but really, you know, I think I think the thing that makes you fall in love with classic Doctor Who is the character, the imaginative stories uh and and the just the charismatic performances by the the 
the the recurring cast to the guest cast but you but i i do think i do think that as an audience you end up investing in that in a different way because you're having to bridge those gaps Mm. uh in such that you know i i grew up loving behind the scenes stuff on tv shows and movies i love knowing how stuff was made i love behind the scenes features um you know all that and i still remember the first time i ever saw a photo of the console room set that right. was pulled back far enough that you could see the edges of the set and the cameras and the studio lights <laughs> yeah. and everything. And I was sort of like, oh. It's like, it's not that I thought it was real, but it's sort of... But even there's so. something a little yeah. bad about seeing the illusion destroyed. Like, yeah, yeah, just two and a half feet away. There. Yeah, it stops It's a ladder or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, the, the, it doesn't, it's not a 360 degree set. It's not it's not any of that it's it's just pretty much what they built what you absolutely needed to fill the screen and not a foot more or film in spaces as well at bbc lime grove originally then bbc television center yes uh, that was about the limit of it whatever was the size of not even their biggest studios was the area that they that they got to play with more often than not of course we've got the fabulous locations to them out to various clay pits and things like that that people always always talk about and joke about but that definitely adds to the appeal as as well the same with same with blake seven and lots of other british shows by the way i you know all the American Doctor Who fans I know, everybody who saw um, an adventure in space and time loved it. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine to, to a British audience that, uh, you know, the BBC and its history is is that much more of an institution than even the, the Anglophiles uh, in, in America would consider it to be like, what an amazing program. Because it's evocative and obviously speaks of speaks of times past, simpler times, and uh, even more so when you see the birth of, of something that we've all come to come to love and obsess over in the time in between. Absolutely, and and I think you know there's there were the hardcore fans like like myself who uh, already knew a lot of that history because we'd sought it out and we had heard the the oral history passed along by going to conventions and things as far as. Uh, you know that that time in the series and the creation of the Daleks and William Hartnell's health issues that led to him uh, being gently pushed out, which led to regeneration and all all of that stuff. Uh, but a lot of a lot of uh, more casual viewers, you know, had no idea; they'd never heard any of that before. So no. having that story told in such a evocative and moving way was really wonderful. So you're currently storyboarding at the moment. You've done a hell of a lot of comics work, haven't you? Sequential yes. work for for the companies that people know, even non-comics mm-hmm. fans know who DC and Marvel are. But you've yes. also worked for Image and Malibu and Titan and various other smaller labels too, haven't you? You've you've really run the gamut with the comic books. Yeah, I mean, some some of my credits are very, you know, oh, they did a reprint of this. So I guess technically I've done work for that company, but yeah, I've <laughs> I've worked for quite a few over the years, and uh, uh, you know, it never gets old um, getting to work on characters that you grew up being a childhood fan of. I mean, aside from the sense of you know feeling like you get to play with the cool toys in the toy box there's also this very deep satisfaction that you feel like you're giving something back that, that you, you know, mm. you're, 
the 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 wheel turns and now i'm creating comics that young readers are going to react to you know it, it's the strangest thing i will see a stack of my comics and i will see a stack of comics that i had nothing to do with and the ones that <laughs> i did the ones that i did because i i know uh how the sausage was made to use that yes. expression um it feels less real to me somehow. It feels like, well, those are the yeah. comics I did. And it, it, it always is just sort of a mind-blowing experience when I will go to conventions. I, I'll meet fans that, that have have found those comics and have reacted to them the same way, you know, I reacted to the comics that were coming out when I was young. And, and that's very rewarding and exciting and kind of humbling. Um, so... The characters that I associate you with the most as a fan of yours, because I genuinely, I, I love your work. I've been reading oh, your stuff for years. Thank you. Uh, the characters that I associate you most with are the DC team, Young Justice, which yep. have a, a very popular animated show, don't they, that's on Netflix at the moment. But it's run off and on for 10 years or so, hasn't it? So a lot of people have caught that show. Uh, but very, uh, it, it's, it's very dynamic. The characters are so well-rounded. And the way that you bring them th to the page too, to you make it just enough like the cartoon, but you have—I can tell—you have your own fun with it as well. Yeah, well, keeping man, it my, a model. My history, my history with Young Justice is uh, possibly more convoluted than my history with Doctor Who. But the short version, <laughs> the short version is when I when I heard that my friend Greg Wiseman was doing a new animated show with DC superheroes, um, I, I was not yet involved with the animation industry at all but i thought oh i know how this works there'll, there'll be a comic book tie-in uh for it so i tried to find out who the editor was going to be and see if i could you know get in early to try to get that, that your way in. and by the time i just identified who the editor was i was told that the um the creative team was already in place i was like oh oh well and they they showed the they, they put out the first two episodes which is like a two-part pilot movie yeah. kind of of the, of the series a while before the regular weekly episodes started coming out and those first two came out and i'm like oh this show is fantastic oh now i really wish i'd gotten to work on this so i was genuinely objectively a big fan of it before i had anything to do with it and then i heard from dc that the uh the first artist that had originally been put on the book was leaving to go do a different project and would i be interested in coming on board and, and taking your place and i was like yes so so uh i drew i was the regular artist on the tie-in comic book for the duration of the show's original two season run on cartoon network and then every time there's been more comics since then um i've gotten to do those and and, and been for the drafted. you've been drafted and, back in and for the longest time i would go to conventions and people would bless their hearts uh think i created young justice or think that i i worked directly on the show and while i was very proud of the comic work i had done i did not want to be taking credit for something i actually didn't <laughs> do so i'd have to do all this clarifying like no i worked on this i didn't work on this and then uh when it came back the most recent time for season four young justice uh phantoms um i was at a place career-wise i was looking to make some changes and the opportunity presented itself to 
basically apply to be a part of the that uh, production, and I got the job, and that was what led to my moving out here to Los Angeles and starting to do work uh, for Warner Brothers Animation. So I actually did get to work on the show for season four, uh, and then and then the most recent comic was Young Justice Targets, which we did after uh, season four concluded, and that felt like a little. Uh, almost a, a comics victory lap. It was sort of like, oh, and now I get to, now I get to do one more run of these comics, having actually had the experience of working on the TV show, and we are we're still, you know, fingers crossed that we'll at some point get to do more comics or television episodes. The industry is weird. It could still happen, but it's it's been a long wait to find. Hey, well, Futurama's yeah. just come back yet again. So anything, yeah, possible, yeah. Isn't it? Well, Young Justice is a fabulous, fabulous show, and your name is synonymous with it. Well, uh, that's that's very kind, and I feel like I feel like my association with it is a little disproportionate, just because of the comics <laughs> and and the number of conventions that I do and being active on social media. Uh, you know, it, 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 believe me, you know, the, the production of the show, it's not like it was Greg Wiseman and Brandon Vietti, the two producers, and then me. I would have been somewhere like about, you know, yeah, 30, I get it. 30 names down at least. Um, but it but, strikes uh, me that you, you do enjoy working with, uh, with teams, with, with groups of more than one character. I know you've done some Spider-Man work and some Batman work, too, on, on the Batman's tiny to the Batman animated series, the, the Batman Strikes. But when I look at your Young Justice covers, the stuff, your Avengers stuff, there's lots of characters doing lots of things, sort of either in, in fights or interacting, interacting with one another. And it seems to me that you relish that. The more heroes and villains, the better. Just throw them all together and have a lot of fun. Like all the toys are coming out of the toy box. That's the impression that I get whenever I see your work. And that's why I was excited to see you associated with the Doctor Who brand. Oh, wow. That's an interesting connection. Um, well, thank you. Uh, I mean, so much of uh, so much of your career when you do this kind of stuff is based on, you know, what opportunities are are made available to you um i don't know that i've sought out um stuff with a big ensemble cast versus more you know solo protagonist kind of stuff any more than i i ever sought out uh you know a a large it's funny in comics a lot of people associate me with animation tie-in stuff because i've done a lot of that and that's only because i that's kind of how I got my foot in the door at DC Comics back in the day. And then once you get known for doing a certain kind of thing. If um, you could keep your characters consistent and on model with the brand as it, as the viewers and readers will be, will be used to seeing it in other media. If, you, if you're that guy who can hold that line and still bring it to life. You know, I've done similar work for DC Thompson in Britain on characters for a, a comic called, called The Beano over the years. I've worked on a lot oh, of yeah, okay. myself. And so I know that that's that's what they look for if you can if you can take those things and not get too, not bring too many much of your own flair to it just enough just enough to make it come alive but make it look on model and on brand. I've also worked for Warner Brothers myself. I okay. did a lot of licensed stuff with Bugs Bunny, Tasmania, all that stuff. Yeah, so I know exactly what you mean with the style guides. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. Like fans will will compliment you, say, "Oh, I love your style," and I'm like. That's what their style. Style yeah. <laughs> exactly are we talking about? Because depending on the project, that's a totally different style. I have and, to tell you and, the one time I had the same ahead. picture of Yosemite Sam come back at least fifteen times because the mustache wasn't quite right. Oh my goodness. The the 
yeah, that's that is the trick is that you want to be on model, as they say, but you don't want it to be just this sort of lifeless rote reproduction of whatever reference material they've given you for what on model means. So you're trying to find a way to uh, bring your storytelling skills to the page, your sense of composition, to give it some energy, have it be you know fun and, and visually appealing, but doing that all within the framework of looking like this established visual style, which is an interesting an interesting challenge. But the the thing I was going to say is. Uh, um, I never set out to specialize in doing that sort of thing. It's just you get known for doing that, and that's what people mm -hmm. tend to offer you. And then there's this whole other side of my comics career where I've done stuff um, based on live action uh, things where there are actor likenesses involved. Um, I think the first one of those I did was uh, a story based on uh, an American um, TV show from the 70s, Kolchak the Night Stalker. I know it. Um, Darren, McG Darren McGavin. Yeah, exactly. And then I got to do uh, a two-part story for the Batman 66 comics. That's the 1960s Adam West Batman. That was a ton of fun. And now all this Doctor Who work. And it, it's funny to me that despite this body of work where, that I feel is fairly photorealistic and detailed and all, you know, whatever you want to say about it, and yet editors at DC and Marvel still... I hear from them if they need something drawn based on a TV cartoon. We talk a lot on this show about how how Doctor Who fans are more often than not very, very creative people, either professionally or as a, as a hobby, as something that they do in their spare time to relax away from the day job or away from the family. We do find that Doctor Who does reach creative people and inspire in the same way that Star Trek does, I think, with the scientifically minded. I know that there are creative Star Trek fans, don't get me wrong, and there are scientifically minded Doctor Who fans, but generally speaking, I think that's kind of the, the difference. So I was, I was wondering, so watching classic Doctor Who while you were growing up, watching it on PBS, did you draw Doctor Who characters in your, in your childhood? Did you scribble them down? Did Doctor Who sort of inform, and other TV shows, did it all go in part to setting you on that creative career path? I didn't see a lot of Doctor Who comics when I was younger. I, oh, I, I was aware nice. that they existed, but I, I, you, you just didn't see a lot of them in the wild, as it were, uh, as an American, at least where I was living. And you had to really want to read them to be able to go and find yeah, them, as yeah. I understand. That's how it's explained to me. Yeah, yeah, and and so I mean, I might have, I might have doodled the occasional police box or Dalek or something. Uh, I, I I know I at least once did a portrait of uh, the Fourth Doctor. Most of most of my random scribblings were more superhero stuff. But you know, as far as what you were saying about about the audience being creative, I mean. I, I think I think so much of Doctor Who stories are defined by being very idea intensive. You know, the fact that it's mm -hmm. not about it's not a, a a crime show or like like a superhero thing is like you know who your your heroes are and they'll fight different villains every month. But there's still there's the black form. hat and the white hat, and there's, it's not it's not procedural particularly. There, yeah, there's still a certain formula to those things. And Doctor Who is sort of like, well, you've got, you've got your box and your main characters, and we drop them into <laughs> a completely different scenario every story, and you don't know if it's going to be 
serious or funny or the past or the future or or what and you get these you know was it was it moffat that said that uh writing doctor who is basically burning a perfectly good feature film idea every week uh, <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. uh and and like I, that's i think that's always been true i think i think so many you know doctor who stories you know, may get executed a certain way because it's Doctor Who. Russell T. Davies has said too that, that Doctor Who is the show that eats story, eats it up. Yeah, my seventh Doctor story. I I love Sylvester McCoy's seventh Doctor. I love Sophie Aldred as Ace. Uh, I love that era of the show. But to me, that is an era where you can really feel the constraints of the budget. Every Every part of this script, I was like, how do I make this feel epic? How do I do this and make it feel like a Bond film? Uh, I think picking up on something you said earlier on, the amount of your work that I've seen and that I've read, and just to, speaking to you now over, over the last half an hour or so, I think what strikes me is that you're looking at this show and these characters and this world, the Hooniverse, and you're thinking, just like when you saw that behind-the-scenes photo, how can I make Doctor Who 360? That is how I think you relate to it just from how little I, i've only met you today but that's what i'm picking up on certainly um to me if, if you're going to take a, a, something that was a television show and do it as a comic you want to give the audience the experience of oh this feels like the show i know these feel like the characters i know but let's optimize the story we're telling for the medium we're telling it in and comics don't have to be constrained by the size of the studio or the special effects budget or any of that. You know, the, the, the example that when I talk about the Seventh Doctor era feeling a little constrained by the budget, the, um, the example I, I go to is I adore the story, The Happiness Patrol. Oh, yes. But can you imagine how different that story would feel if they could have gone out and done location shooting? so that it felt like you were in a city as opposed to what a couple of set piece corners and flats in television sets yeah because the the original script it was meant to be the happiness patrol was meant to take place literally in in one evening one night in one city after dark and they and graham curry the the writer that's how he imagined it and that's what he angled for but unfortunately it came to when it came to breaking it down by the producer uh, john nathan turner that that was the story that had to all be filmed in the studio that's how it was broken down then yeah and so so as i said i, I got this script from andrew cartmel that had these elements that felt very big and ambitious i mean Aliens have a secret base hidden in a volcano. You know, talk about feeling like a Bond film. Yeah. But but you know, really yeah. everything. Yeah. It's like the moment the moment we we went to uh, something that didn't have a defined size or shape to it. You know, my thought was, how do we um, how do we blow this up to the, mm-hmm. the largest scale and make it feel visually impressive even or even some of the action there's a moment in the story where the doctor has been tinkering with his umbrella in an earlier scene and when they go to finally confront these aliens he the script has him turn around and just shoot gas out of the uh the tip of his umbrella uh at one of them and 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 takes takes them down that way now that sounds very batman 66 yeah he borrowed one of the penguins umbrellas absolutely (laughs) 
But I, I was just sort of like, oh, the Doctor doesn't have a lot of action in this last sequence. I'm trying to make him feel more adventurous and active. So I had him like spin around and gas like six people. Love it. When he did this move, just because why not? You know, it it, it just absolutely it, it, it makes it feel like he's accomplishing more. There's something about that impish little man in the Panama hat with the umbrella that that really appeals to you. That that incarnation particularly chimes with you. Is it because he's such an animated actor as well, Sylvester? Because not all of the doctors are, are they? I well. You know, people find out you're a Doctor Who fan, and the first thing they want to know is who your favorite Doctor is. And I honestly don't have one. I, my brain doesn't pick favorites. No, I don't either. My my brain doesn't do, tend to do favorites. I, mean, I don't have a favorite color. I don't have a favorite food. Uh, you know, there, I, I like different really things either? about different things. Uh, it's 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 an apples and oranges comparison. But the thing I like specifically about about the Seventh Doctor, aside from just the way he was written and performed was sort of intriguing but i i've always been a little fascinated by sylvester mccoy because he was hired to play one kind of doctor they were getting pressure from the bbc to like make the show funnier and they hired this guy with a, a background doing light comedy and you you watch his first season of stories and he's he's just goofy and the malaprops and all of that and then they do this pivot to he is the darkest, most Machiavellian, you know, sinister undertones. It's like, yeah, how? And he pulls it off. He does, doesn't he? And, and, and you know, it, to me, it was a bit of a throwback to, you know, if you look at Patrick Troughton, who uh, was very not imposing a figure but you all yeah. you never you never were sure how much the clowning was you could almost have a reasonable relatively down-to-earth conversation with the second doctor <laughs> yeah and the other thing i love about sylvester mccoy is i've i've had the privilege of of either in-person meeting or or you know being part of a large audience watching interviews yes. with many of the doctors and i have to say Sylvester is the one that if you meet Sylvester McCoy, you feel like you've met the Seventh Doctor. I don't think there's there's no off switch to uh, to Sylvester McCoy. I think he's permanently on and permanently the Doctor, and the, his Doctor is wrapped up in whoever he, he he is. He's a very, for such a little man, he's a very particular kind of character. I, I think he's always performing and loves what he does. Yes. I mean, I, I, I think there's a long tradition now of actors being cast as the doctor and being asked to bring a lot of their own personality to the yeah. performance but certainly in the case of uh of sylvester it just <laughs> seems like uh you know all right pretend you're a time lord and he's like right pretend i'm a time lord sure fine uh he's he's marvelous they're all marvelous they're all marvelous in their own ways aren't they but there's a certain kind of actor i, I Think that Sylvester and Tom, I think they're actually quite similar actors. There's just they're just a few feet apart in height. <laughs> <laughs> a few feet, yes. People always say about Tom Baker that when you watch him, he can't even walk through a door in a in a naturalistic way. And yeah. I think Sylvester's very much the same. Sylvester McCoy is the doctor, and the doctor is Sylvester McCoy. I more than once I have been at a convention where I knew he was going to be in attendance and would see him across, you know, a hotel lobby. And yeah. between between what his normal clothes are like, and he's he's always got the hat, <laughs> and like yeah, it, it, he is the silhouette of his own 
doctor in in normal attire absolutely I understand you're quite involved in the convention circuit too, aren't you? Do you organise conventions, run conventions? Uh, there's lots of photos of you here and there. Yeah, I, so really limited to one. Um, I helped start, uh, and I don't mean like I started. I was part of a team that helped start a uh, general science fiction convention in uh, back in Minnesota uh, called Convergence that is held on. Uh, July 4th weekend. First one was in 1999, so do the math. Uh, we, it's been held every year, except we missed a year due to COVID. And uh, I, I do not help run it anymore, although I still um, am involved with it. I'll, I, I do a lot of artwork for it. I help run. One of the godfathers of conversion. So. Yes, yes, yes. And, and that has certainly given me a very, um, a, a great deal of empathy for you know, as I go and attend other conventions, whether it be as a, a guest or in their artist alley, or just showing up as a, as a fan of of the things that the the convention organizers have to deal with, you, you you get into the the issues of traffic management and trying to just keep all the different participants happy with their own various wants and needs, and it's a lot of work. And I really appreciate what the good convention organizers deal with. When I look back to your your comics work with Doctor yeah. Who, it's Operation Volcano and Heralds of Destruction, when I was reading them for the first time, it did strike me as here is someone, and I know you, obviously this was Paul Cornell who wrote Heralds of Destruction, and we talked about Dan Slott and, and other writers, Andrew Cartmel, of course. All, all writers, I mean, Paul Cornell is just a fabulous writer, isn't he? For yes. His Doctor Who literary work, the comic book stuff, the guy seems to be able to write every, everything to an annoyingly high standard. But looking at your artwork, I could tell here is a man who is relishing capturing Roger Delgado pulling off a rubber mask. Well, all those all those moments. While you have that image on screen, let me just, let me just say, of all the things I got to draw... Uh, on that first miniseries with the third Doctor, the one little detail that I was like, why do I take such delight in this moment? I don't know. Every time I found myself inking Roger Delgado's beard and specifically <laughs> the little stripes of gray at Got the it. corners, I just I was just like, I'm, I'm drawing Roger Delgado as the master in Doctor Who. This is does so life cool. get any better than this, Christopher? Oh, so good. Uh, and the thing, the thing, I um, a quick story about that uh, that uh, comic. Um, I had known Paul Cornell for a few years. We'd had him as a guest at Convergence since that came up. Um, I'd been friends with him for a while. Um, the introductions had been made to Titan Comics. Uh, through Andrew Cartmel, um, I get an email from Titan Comics saying, um, would you be interested in drawing a third Doctor miniseries? And I said, absolutely. And they said, okay, we we have a writer connected to it that we, uh, um, um, if, if, if we get you on this project, we'll obviously tell you who it is. But we can't say it until Ooh. we're confirmed to be a part of it because it's going to be kind of a big deal when we announce that that they're mm. writing Doctor Who for us. Um, and they had me do a, a couple sample pages just to get everyone signed off on that 
they'd be happy with the look of my drawing Doctor Who because this was my first Doctor Who comics work. <laughs> um, so I, I penciled two pages, and they said, you know, good news, everybody, everybody loves your stuff. You know, let's do this. And 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 I said, uh, I sent them back an email saying, you you still haven't told me who the uh, the writer is. I'm really dying to know. And before I hear back from Titan Comics. I get an email from Paul Cornell that just says, Jehoshaphat. <laughs> and apparently they hadn't told him what artists they were reaching out to. So even though we'd already known each other, it was news yeah. to us that we were being partnered together to work on this book, which ended up just being a delight. And, and my favorite thing about his scripts were that, uh, it was a five-issue miniseries, and issue one, I thought, felt like it could have been a lost episode of the series. It's exhilarating. Era. The entire the entire thing is beautifully written, beautifully illustrated, and a joy to read. But that fir- that first issue, uh, there's a there's a alien invasion of a group of about four or five aliens in a small yes. village yeah. in the English countryside. <laughs> And Unit responds, and the Doctor and Joe show up in Bessie, and they dispatch it and, yeah. and head back to Unit headquarters. I'm like, this is an episode of the show. Yeah. By the time you get to ep- issue five of that miniseries, it has gone to crazy town. It is this ridiculous, bizarre, epic thing. Upscaled, yeah. Done on the television show in a million years. And I just like that we got to, you know... It, again, taking advantage of it being a comic book and not a television show, got to like start from a place that was very familiar, and then kind of take you by the hand and go someplace that like you know the third Doctor had not been before in a visual it's, story. Not that I want to give Paul a, a big head or anything, but um, this is what I enjoy about his writing. It's the the, the the way that he does upscale things and there's so much shape to to uh, the things that he writes as well everything everything makes sense it's thematically too his characters are always so consistent always really interesting and yeah it, it made for fabulous reading i can't recommend either series enough to be honest the fact that uh the th- that third doctor miniseries is both just an entertaining adventure but he actually forms it into character development for the doctor as far as his decision to start leaving earth and traveling time and space more regularly again because it falls in that gap between you know it's after the three doctors he's gotten he's gotten the use of the tardis back but he still is kind of hanging around with the unit and still got his own decisions to make just yeah yeah and uh and yeah it's just oh it's a great story and i I because he he respects and sort of loves the brigadier he'd never admit that but he does and he (laughs) certainly does joe and so yeah when you're watching those stories obviously back in the day at 70s and tea time tv for eight to 12 year olds you can't you can't necessarily bog the the stories the scripts down with that kind of thing almost sort of soul searching but you can do that on the printed page decades later to a dedicated audience of people who can hear the voices of those characters in their heads and recognize all those little nuances and quips and ticks that you were talking about illustrating earlier on well it's, i i think it's interesting and i I'm, I'm i know volumes have been said and written about this how um during the the so-called wilderness years that doctor who existed as uh, novels and things, but not as a yes. television show. That I, 
the nature of the medium of it being a novel meant that the stories tended to delve more into characterization and internal thoughts and feelings and 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 all of that over just adventure plot uh which i think really had a lasting impact as you started to see the big finish audios and then eventually the return of of the television show that you do explore the the inner workings the, the emotional More side so, of these yeah. characters more than the classic series tended to although to be fair to the classic series you know i think if you look at the last run of stories with the seventh doctor and ace so nice they were already starting to head a little bit in yeah, that they, were, direction. they were pointing the way weren't they definitely so it's a fascinating series i you know it, I, the, people talk about the how different modern doctor who is from classic doctor who and I feel like, you know, the show has just been evolving since 1963. I don't know that Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who is more different from Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who than Sylvester was from William Hartnell. I mean, it's just we didn't get to see all the intermediate steps there for a while. Yeah, that's that's a cool way of looking at it as well. As, a, as somebody then who's become sort of partly known for your connection to, to Doctor Who, as well as everything else. Well, when you're at conventions, when you're a guest and you're doing your thing in Artists' Alley, obviously people can come up, can't they? And they, they can ask you to sign their comic book covers or interior art, or they may have purchased some of your original art and they want you to sign that, or just have their photo taken with you dressed as, as somebody out of Young Justice or as Batman or as Spider-Man or anybody. You have all of that kind of thing. But I would imagine that word has got out that you're a bit of a Doctor Who fan. And if you can find those connections with people such as Dan Slott and Andrew Cartmel there on adjoining tables, the the members of the public, the punters, they know you're a Doctor Who fan too. So when they come up and ask for a, an on-the-spot commission, do any of them ask for Doctor Who characters? And if they do, do you do your eyes just light up when you when you <laughs> um, well your your question stems from the premise that that's that's a fairly rare occurrence. Um, I was just at. Uh... Uh, New York Comic Con um, a month ago, and then not long ago, I was at. I went back to Minnesota for uh, an event called Twin Cities Con, and at both of those, uh, I had Doctor Who fans coming up to me and wanting Doctor Who artwork and with Doctor Who comics to sign. Uh, you know, it's it, it's uh, it's not uh, not that it's unusual. Not unusual. Well, have you got a, a set character that people ask you to to draw? Or do they come up and say, you know, give me Peter Capaldi looking out at a, at a starry sky with it's... the TARDIS in the background? <laughs> or do they say, oh, you just do what you want? Do, do, they, do they say, look, whatever you think, just let the inspiration take you and fill that blank cover with whatever you may? I occasionally have people asking um, for me to... to do whatever inspires me uh more often they have their own idea of what they want yeah. um i you know and, and if if someone really 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 wants me to come up with something myself um i i i certainly will but i you know sometimes people seem to think that they're offering that to me like it's some kind of treat i'm like this is your art to take home <laughs> i i would rather give you what you know is going to make you give happy. you pleasure yeah then you know, oh, I, 
you're making me draw Peter Davison. I drew Peter Davison two weeks ago. It's like, no. Um, what you know? I I love all of it. Um, I the the one thing I struggle with is that uh, uh, I find doing likenesses of actors a little more challenging and time consuming. It's not, it's not as forgiving as you know. Someone comes up to me uh, and asks me to draw the Joker. I'm like, oh, great, because there's a lot of leeway in how that could come out, and people are still like, oh, yeah, that's the Joker, fine, sure. But, you know, you're trying to capture the likeness of, you know, Katie Manning. <laughs> and it's like, oh, if I don't get the eyes just right, it's not going to look like her. Um, uh, so I, I, I sometimes, you know, debate like, oh, man, should, do they need to charge more? Well, I think anybody who was any in any doubt of your credentials as a Doctor Who fan after an hour already in your company will now be uh, within no doubt whatsoever that you are a massive Doctor Who fan and uh, oh, clearly versed in the classic show and the and the new show too. So I was wondering, have you got a, a specific combination of characters? You've seen you've done the Unit family there with with Pertwee and the Brig and Katie. And you've also done the Seventh Doctor and Ace. Have you got a dream Doctor companion combination that you'd love to revisit in sequential art form? Oh boy! Um, or is that giving the game away? Is that no, if, you, no, if you speak it out loud, it'll never happen? Is it one uh, of those things? <laughs> well, I mean, you, the 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 way you say it, uh, I mean. It's not like I wouldn't be happy to go back and do more of the ones I've already done. Um, yeah, I know. I've, I've tech. Let me say it this way to, so, to be a non-story spoiler. I've done. I've drawn Patrick Troughton, but I would enjoy doing a proper second Doctor story. Mm. Um, uh, something with you know Jamie and and you know getting to draw you know his era's console room and all of that which, which i granted i got to do for one wonderful panel oh I, by the way in in this new book with the dan slot wrote of of my contributions to the whole thing the thing that was probably the most fun was the this wonderful double page spread that is all of the first 10 doctors in their respective tardis control rooms which was a bear to draw but really fun and satisfying to do um yeah you're talking about you know my my being my bona fides as a uh, a doctor who fan uh i will share this story with you i was at a convention once and a child with his parents the child being like maybe eight i don't know um yeah. comes up to my table and is looking at at stuff on the table including my doctor who prints and um, and it was clear that the, the, this kid liked Doctor Who, which I'm always happy to find a child that's into Doctor Who. And he seems to, to know his stuff. And um, and uh, I think this was I think this was after the show had come back in 2005, but but it would have been around that time. Um, and I said I said to this this kid. Uh, um, do you, do you know all the actors who have played the doctor? <laughs> and he looks at me like, you know, can you can you ask me something a little more challenging than that? And I, I'm like, all right, fine. 
do you know the name of the actor that played the first doctor in the 20th anniversary special of the five doctors and this eight-year-old kid looks at me and says richard herndl <laughs> and i'm like you win here take the free <laughs> pick one pick one it's yours it's free you win i i you know all hail the next generation of doctor who fans <laughs> Fabulous moment. Obviously, this is the diamond anniversary of Doctor Who right yes. now. It's all happening now. As of time of recording, we're about to be whisked away on three brand new adventures with the 14th Doctor reunited with companion Donna Noble, played by David Tennant and, and Catherine Tate. That's about to hit the screen any day now. In fact, you've probably got some of it by the time we publish this episode. So on a scale of 1 to 10, Chris, how much are you looking forward to seeing where the Doctor's going to go next. Not just the 14th Doctor, but the 15th Doctor too, because he's on the way in the not-too-distant future as well. They're spoiling us, aren't they? It's all happening. I hadn't heard about any of this! No, um... <laughs> uh, no, I'm very, I'm very, very excited. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm going to find it very strange to, yeah. uh, like many Americans, be turning to Disney Plus to watch Doctor Who. Yeah. It's very strange, but, uh, hey, uh, I, I am, I am delighted... I'm delighted that the show is continuing. I am excited to see what um, Russell T. Davis brings to it. Uh, I don't expect him to be turning the clock back to 2005. No. It's going to be fascinating after we see some of his new run of Doctor Who to play that compare-contrast game of, all right, what's the through line of familiar elements that RTD coming back brought back to the show versus what's different about his approach this time than what it was then oh it's it's going to be so great and uh uh it's going to be really great to have another chapter in the story of the doctor and donna noble i'm really looking forward to shooty gatwa coming in it's, i i'm scale scale of one to ten was that the question um uh, 15 obviously 15. it has to be it has to be 15. there's so much left to see they keep showing us well actually they don't keep showing us it's all the fans that keep taking pictures and putting them up on on x and on facebook and all that kind of thing where they're out filming it so we know they film so much more than we've seen at the moment but it is coming it is coming sooner rather than later i think it, in six months time we'll know before the show came back in 2005 i had discussions with friends about how, you know the ideal way for it to come back and and mm. rose hit all the notes it's like let's meet the companion let's have them meet the doctor so we get their experience of encountering this strange mysterious figure you know shades of unearthly child all over again you know we don't see the inside of the tardis until they see the inside of the tardis all of that uh, there's a lot I love about the Paul McGann TV movie. The, the two biggest things are Paul McGann and the heart that is that. But, but if the hope was to bring on board a new, uh, a, a new generation of fans, it's like, okay, so we're going to start with this confusing thing about this villain who's being put on trial by voices of something we don't see, and then... And then we're in this box, ex except it's a big room, and it's being narrated by our main character, but it's a different actor narrating than the main character we're seeing. And then he turns into the guy that was narrating. Like, like uh, that's not, how, all you, over the map, that's not yeah. how you introduce a new audience to this. Um, so, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm very excited. You know what else I'm excited about, Chris? What's that? I'm, a, I'm exci excited about Doctor Who, Once Upon a Time from Titan oh. Comics. 
I've got my copy. I hope you get yours out there. So this is by Eisner award-winning Spider-Man writer Dan Slott making his long-awaited, by the sounds of it, Doctor Who debut. The artist by uh, Matthew Dow-Smith, Mike Collins and Christopher Jones here. And there's three stories running in there with the Doctor and Martha and, and all manner of other characters to, to discover when you, you get this into your life. Now, there's two covers to choose from, I understand. Yes, the the one by myself, which is the the very uh, busy one on the left there, and the cover Sue on the right. Levine, there's everything by the in there. Marvelous Adam Hughes. So, uh, of course, it is. I recognize his style now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was. I believe that was Dan calling in a favor. Uh, and and <laughs> I, I the the biggest uh, uh, silver lining of the book being delayed. Is I, I don't know if if uh, Titan had any plans for doing variant covers initially on this. Uh, the Adam Hughes cover was going to be the cover, and then then because it was delayed for so long, Titan decided that they wanted some new cover art for the resolicitation um, when they when they were offering it for sale again. So that that's how my cover came about. And so I was delighted that I got to do uh, my own cover <laughs> for it, and we get both. So fans hey! can fans can get either or both, whatever they want. Um, and I'm I'm a happy camper for having gotten to work on it. <laughs> for the people out there who like to collect them all, there's also a couple of photographic covers uh, with yeah. uh, the the uh, the stories divided into two standard comic books. So not in the uh, in the double size hardback edition. You can get them as two floppies too, with these photographic covers with the Doctor and Martha and Rose and the Doctor there on them. So that's a nice touch as well for the people who might want something they can bag and board a little bit easier than a hardback. And who doesn't love a good floppy? Yeah, well, say no more, my friend. Say no more. <laughs> yeah, so this is Doctor Who Once Upon a Time Lord from Titan Comics. It's available now to order or to gift to someone, to the Doctor Who fan in your life or just the comic book fan in your life. Give them a thrill ride there of adventures in time and space with a couple of Doctors and companions. Your earlier work is also still available, still in print, isn't it, Christopher? So we've got uh, Heralds of Destruction and Operation Volcano. They're both available as trade paperbacks, aren't they? Yes, uh, they are. Um, by all means, check with your local comic shop, but uh, they're also available from online booksellers. Um, you know, it's been a while, so some some places might not have them, but they're they're around. You can you can get them with a little a little searching. Available from all reputable and a few disreputable <laughs> stockists. There you go. <laughs> as, the, as they say. Yeah, well, I can't thank you enough for coming on, for spending the time to talk to me about this, Christopher, because obviously this is a this is a big deal. It's Doctor Who's anniversary, and this is really the comic book contribution. Doctor Who has always been in comic book form, more or less, as I said right at the top of the show. To me, it's only right there'd be something special in comic strip form to mark this diamond anniversary. I'm so glad that you guys could pull it out of the bag, even if there was a bit of fudging of the dates there, to bring it into line so we did get something to, to chime with the 60th anniversary event. Well, all the fans that I've heard from have been great about it. Thank you for allowing this uh, American to be part of the the big Doctor Who party. Uh, you know, I, I am not coming to it as a as a poser. I, I, have loved, I can tell that. I have loved this show 
since I first encountered it, and uh, I, I am absolutely thrilled to to get to be a part of it now. Fabulous stuff. Well, yeah, happy Doctor Who 60th anniversary to you as as well, Chris. We'd love to get you back on at some point, because I think we've barely scratched the surface of your Doctor Who fandom and your knowledge. I'd love to get your takes on some other things. So what would you say? Do you want to rematerialize at some point in the future? It, it, just, just let me know when. I'll be back. <laughs> okay, good stuff. That's Legally Binding, everybody. Legally Binding. Doctor Who, Once Upon a Time Lord. Yes, that's available now. And thank you again, Chris, for your company. It's been a blast. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show. Our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU Podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. The Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there, and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and that's where you'll find a store full of all the team colors for all of the shows on everything from T-shirts and phone cases and mugs right the way up to enormous tapestries. Treat yourself, treat your other selves. All goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain too, so everybody wins. And our thanks again to Christopher Jones there, Titan Comics' Doctor Who Once Upon a Time Lord, the first of three planned hardback specials by writer Dan Slott and all his collaborators. That's available right now. Oh, and that's the old girl starting up calling time on another episode of Type 48 Doctor Who podcast. Another one's on the way soon, though, of course. Look out for that wherever you found this. Maybe it was on the dedicated home feed for Type 40, type 40.podbean.com. We could have rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice. Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Google, all those places. We're also on YouTube, the world's largest streaming platform with extended, exclusive video editions of every single podcast now. Subscribe to Type 40 on YouTube 
and Rumble. You even get extra Type 40s too there, as well as our sister show, Type 40 Live, that weekly live stream magazine show, completely raw, completely live, where anything can happen, anything can be said, and often is. Get all of that over on the Type 40 YouTube channel too. We're still on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's own master feed. Of course we are, loaded up with all those treats for your ears. Never mind on the weekly, it's coming at you practically on the daily. Please consider a trip sideways in time for more quality shows from the FPN. Could be you'd like to have your say on all of this. You can do just that when you reach out to us through our social media, Instagram and X at Type40DoctorWho, or you can email us, Type40DoctorWho at gmail.com. And if you're feeling really brave and fancy some some real-time extra-dimensional chit-chat, you can find us, all of us, over there in the Type 40 Facebook group, along with the regenerations worth upon regenerations worth of other fans, fans from the classic era, from the new era, and all of us, I think, anticipating all new Doctor Who to come. Again, you can find Christopher Jones on social media. Reach out to me, if you dare, on X and Instagram as the Spacebook, where I'm wheezing and groaning, ranting and raving about all things geeky, inside and outside of the TARDIS, in uh, in TV, movies, comic books, and whatever else catches my eye, my imagination, or both. Thanks for listening. As ever, we always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40. For now, though, I'll just wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year for 2024. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.